This is a mental health podcast, so difficult topics may arise. Please proceed with caution. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi, and we're your hosts and licensed therapists here to destigmatize mental health one episode at a time. In each episode, we dive into our guests' special experiences with mental health, coping mechanisms, and how they have embraced their own mental health journey. Today, we are speaking to Ian Summerholder. He is an American actor, model, activist, and director. He is known for playing Damon in The Vampire Diaries. He is also an executive producer of the Netflix documentary, Kiss the Ground. And in 2020, he launched Brothers Bond Bourbon with Paul Wesley. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for joining us. Such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much for having me. How are you really feeling today? How am I really feeling today? Unbelievable. Um, Physically exhausted, but mentally uh, very strong, very powerful. And what's going on inside from a uh, a mental and psychological standpoint and uh, from a familial standpoint. Now, obviously, that comes with a lot of work and um, you can't control everything. But I'm in one of those positions right now where... I feel grateful to, to be able to say that and from a position of a place of ease and peace, which is a very powerful place to feel as if you're standing on. Um, so I feel as if I can give as much as anybody needs uh, from me right now. I love that. I love that you're in control of only what you can control. That's it. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> because as a you therapist... Know. We often see with our clients, a lot of their anxiety is stemming on things that they can control. So just having the ability to let that go and focus on what you can control definitely helps. But Micheline and I have been following you for a while, and we know that you are a big advocate of emotional well-being and taking care of yourself. When did that start for you? Honestly, from the very beginning. My mom taught me a great deal about that. We were a very poor family in Louisiana in the 80s. But in the 80s, in Louisiana, you didn't need very much. You had food plentiful, bountiful food. You had culture, you had a house, you had clothes, and you had a car that would start usually maybe three days a week. But other than that, you had everything you needed. Um, Both my parents are very sort of spiritual. My father is very aloof um, and fun and cool. And my mom is very cool and grounded and sort of like uh, old worldly. Um, But that came as a result of not having a childhood that she had very much control over. And, you know, so all these things stem back from what their parents gave to them and what they gave to us. And at the end of the day, like we were just talking about as far as control, we don't have control over what they gave us, but we have control over how we process and utilize that. Now that's not always an easy, you know, it's not always an easy chapter. And some people spend maybe their entire lives uh, getting to a place where they can ultimately understand it. But what I, I took was one thing from one therapist that we spent a lot of time figuring this out. He said, just remember this, Ian, you are the ocean, not the wave. Most people feel we live our lives feeling as if we are the wave that's going to crash down on the shore at any given moment. Maybe it's rocks, it's sands, whatever, but it's so daunting to live in that space. But once you recognize that you are indeed the ocean, You're going to come and go. Tides are going to come and go. It might get stormy. It might get wavy. It might get really calm. But at the end of the day, 
You're not going to crash into the shore repeatedly. That changed my life. One phrase from one person after like a five-hour incredible session. And that allows you to abdicate that throne of needing to always feel in control because that just rips you apart, going back to parents and stuff. And so my mom really taught me and instilled a lot of that stuff. And so what I had from her coupled with this one man that told me this one thing, when it all came together, wow, it was the biggest aha moment. Instead of like, aha, it was, aha, you know? It was like a very peaceful and amazing moment. And I can only hope that a majority of the people on this planet can find in some way, shape, and form a version of that for themselves in this life cycle, you know? Yeah, I love that you said that because I, as a therapist, practice a type of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. And we talk just about that. And it's like how your emotions are like the weather and like you'll have sunny days and you'll have rainy days. And when you brought up the ocean, one of the grounding tools that we use with many of our clients is called anchoring, where you, when you're on a boat or in an ocean and you drop an anchor when there's a stormy weather, the anchor isn't supposed to stop you from feeling the waves or anything. It's not going to make the storm go away, but it's just helping you ground yourself in the moment while the storm passes. And when people realize like, okay, I'm grounding, I'm going to hold on, I'm going to brace tight, I'm going to put my feet on the ground and just know that this is temporary, just like everything in life is temporary. It kind of gives us that inner peace. And so I love that you mentioned the ocean because it kind of just went hand in hand with exactly some of the tools that have been so helpful for so many. Man, where have you been all my life? <laughs> it is incredibly true. Have Have you struggled with your mental health growing up? Is that where some of these messages that, you know, people like you heard from people and you said a therapist told you that was mental health something that you always were aware of? Or was there like a like a point where you started realizing that? I had an unbelievable childhood um, with loving parents. Um, I mean, obviously things were rocky, parents splitting up. I was the one that actually asked my parents to split up at 13. But at the end of the day, I always knew I could go to a safe place where I could just recalibrate. Even as a kid, I knew that. So my parents couldn't give me much, but at least they gave me that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I always had that feeling, which was something really great and safe. And I think that when we don't feel safe, we we are not we don't feel great in our own shoes or our own skin. I just wanted to like piggyback on that because you mentioned safety. And had all of these experiences happen, like your parents got divorced, things are not easy at all that some people could be, quote unquote, traumatized by. But you mentioned having a place to go back, a place of safety, a place that you called home, which is what we call resilience factors, like things that offset what you know, one thing may may impact a person very differently than another. And it's really, what do you have? Do you feel loved? Do you feel safe? Do you feel like you have a support system? And it sounds like you in your life, despite what you went through, you had a lot of, um, of those safety home bases. Yeah. But I recognize that that doesn't happen, uh, a lot in a lot of people's lives. And so they're coming at it from a completely different perspective. And mm-hmm. I saw it everywhere. So I was, 
acutely aware of it. And I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations over the last 26 years of being a professional adult of people who didn't have that experience and getting to a space and helping them mentally, physically, emotionally to a space where they did feel safe again and helping become that support system for people, which is why I'm so grateful to be talking to you all on this incredible, incredible, you know, platform that you, you are, you are building to give people the freedom and the safety to understand that they're not alone, that everyone for the most part experiences this. And hopefully this allows that to calm in people, to find some sort of sense of security or self or understanding so that boom, right out of the door, this whole life experience gets better for them. But I think you also mentioned a good point for our listeners at a micro level of how you can make a difference. You said that you knew that you had safety in your support system. So then you tried to become that safety for other people who didn't have it. Right. I mean, listen, make no mistake about it. I might have safety, meaning I could get off of a plane and, 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 and get myself to this like plot of land, literally to a shack in the woods. But I didn't have safety as far as how am I going to eat? Where are my clothes going to come from? Who's going to pay my rent? How am I going to get to work? What they could give me was peace and safety, meaning we are here if you ever need us. But there's not really much we can do for you. You've got to do that on your own. Now, that is not a feeling of safety. <laughs> that is like, that's when you're, you know, and that's when you also develop incredible systems of friendships and relationships and people that help you along the way. But you've got to be open to that help. And you have to know how to ask for help, which is where I think when you bring it back to now, what we're talking about, to distill it, how do you ask for help? And if you're asking, are you asking the right people for the right help? I mean, this is a lot to deal with, especially, you know, from say 15 to 25 for sure, which is the, you know, those really critical times um, that people can set themselves on a stage or um, send themselves on a course that's going to be uh, very, very, very difficult to navigate into their later years in life. Absolutely. And also considering like when you're going to ask for help, it's I think one of the biggest struggles that people experience is like, how is my my asking for help going to be perceived? Because we all experience asking for help, like the receiving of that differently as well. It could be based on our gender identity, based on how the way we look, the color of our skin. Um, so there's, uh, you know, for anyone listening, it's like, yes, that asking for help is important, but also how we react as a society for people asking for help is equally as important. So we can't, you know, just say, well, this person looks nice, so let me just help them, but then somebody who maybe we're not familiar with or not aware of how to help them and we kind of run the other way because it's uncomfortable for us. So opening up that dialogue and really learning that we're all human and we all, you know, need help from some at some point or another and paying it forward and and being able to, you know, show up in any way we can. And I know we can't all help the same way. So the question is is for anyone listening especially is if you do feel you have something to give and you know someone, check in on someone, you see someone who's having a problem, 
go the extra mile and just pick up the phone and call that person or, hey, stop by or, hey, let's go grab a lunch. Check in with that person. And I think we learned that over over COVID, especially in the beginning when we were feeling these incredible isolations. I think what people finally recognized during COVID was mass societal isolation was physical. But what we weren't thinking is people have been living that for the last several centuries, but particularly in modern modern times, we still live in that isolation. It's just that we're we're moving around and we're working, we're on social media, we're talking, we're going to dinners. People still feel that isolation. And then they numb themselves with substances, which only furthers that isolation. So how do you get out of that? Um, it's by people talking and giving people a safe space. That, that's That's the only way I can see that. But if you can give someone the tools to quietly start thinking about this or start working on themselves, now you've got something. Because in the quiet of their own mind, where they don't have to share this with anyone, they can start to break down these problem, let's call them problem areas of their own development. Now you've got something. Now people can start to systematically structure in their head what it is they need to talk to people about. And now you start like moving, you know? That was really powerful. Now, I don't know how to get there. <laughs> that's your, that's what you do. <laughs> but I know that we need it. No, I agree. Yeah, conversations can change lives. Check-ins can save a life. Check in on your happy friends, too, because, you know, people wear it really well. You know, people have learned how to smile and go to work and you know, act like everything is fine. And then we're surprised when we hear like an actor or someone like a prominent public figure, you know, taking their own lives um, on the news. And we're like, what? But they were so good. They had it all. They were, you know, amazing. People loved them. And it's, it's, we tend to have this image of depression and mental health struggles as somebody crying in the corner in their room, but it goes so far beyond that. And, you know, checking in, like you said, like, that's how we change it. We change it. You're asking a very big question. And I don't think it's a, I think there's lots of answers, but I think one of the answers is, yeah, we have to be more connected and not on the social, like, I, I mean, we, we're all using social media bring to bring awareness, but we also need human interaction, human connection. We need connections to survive. So if we're not checking in and we're zoning out all the time, which is where the systemic changes come in because our system is really set up to have us work, 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 work. And by the time we get home, we're burnt. We don't have time to give anybody anything. But maybe if we change that a little bit at a time with our families and then, you know, challenging the systems that are there, maybe, you know, the world can change. We're so surprised when we find out that someone was struggling with something, right? We didn't know someone was hurting or we couldn't. Have, well, how could you see that? Oh, my gosh, they show up to work every day. Those are false representations. Now, mind you, they have to use those to get through. But in social media, and this is what I tell young people all the time, I say to young people, your self-worth is not in this device. It's not, and I'll tell you why. We base our happiness on what's going on in our own social channels. And we don't know it. Uh, these are real dopamine responses that we're looking for. It's the same addiction like cocaine or heroin or sugar or alcohol. We know scientifically the brain fires the same way when you get likes on a post or something. Uh, when those dip, we find depression. But here's the big piece. And this is what I say to young people all the time. I mean, and people my age, but for young ones, because they don't have the tools yet. So 
Sally down the road, um, you guys go to whatever, the same high school. She woke up uh, depressed, say maybe her parents, you know, whatever. Her dad cheated on her mom. Her parents are getting divorced. She woke up. Her boyfriend just broke up with her. Her cat just died. She's got three zits. This is not a good day for Sally. But what does she do? She gets her phone. She puts on her makeup, puts on her backpack and goes, best day ever. Takes a picture and says, you know, like going to the Bahamas this weekend with the family. And then boom, she posts that, goes off to school. Now you wake up, you're having as equally as a shit day, but you go on and you look on your social media channel and you look at Sally, who's literally two doors down, and go, she's so happy. She's so beautiful. She's going to the Bahamas. I've never even been on a plane. Why is my life so terrible? But what you don't realize is, Sally is presenting a false representation of her state of being. It's not real. We're all doing that. So to base your self-worth on something else that people are falsely representing is the biggest waste of time in life. And that I find when we start to pull back a little bit and realize I can't base my self-worth on what other people are saying or doing because they're most likely not being true to themselves, not because they're bad people, because they don't want to accept that. They also don't know how to deal with it. Uh, I think we should all be a little bit more honest. And I know there's a lot of people doing the work out there talking about how they're... I, this morning, right before we came on this call, I put up a post on my Instagram saying I'm dressed and depressed today. You know, just feeling like if you were to look at me, I'm about to... I have a successful uh, business. You know, I'm a therapist. I have great friends, great family feeling crappy today, right? And so, but I'm dressed. If you saw me out at the store, you would never know. And so I think all of us showing that we can have both, like that the way we look and what we're doing doesn't necessarily mean that's how we're feeling on the inside, then people can start to feel a little bit less alone. The fakeness of social media is a <laughs> is is a big problem in our society, which is why I'm so happy to be doing, I feel like it's the opposite work, like the, hey, this is, this is the reality of it. Like we're talking about the hard stuff and, and what you're doing here on this podcast with us today and being honest as a celebrity, somebody who, you know, people admire and look up to uh, talking about these really challenging topics can begin to shift that conversation and help people realize, oh my goodness, this doesn't discriminate, does it? Like we all have, we all have these issues, but. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, listen, I, listen, I, 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 I released this publicly, um, my team literally said, are you sure this is how you want to portray this? But, you know, people say, oh, my gosh, you have this amazing life and you have this, all this stuff and all the success. Let me tell you something. First of all, it comes with an insane amount of hard work, but also, too, you can lose it like that. And I did. I made some really, really bad business decisions um, that my wife had to spend two years of her life negotiating us out of. because She's such a just a brilliant human being. But it took my health. I was in the hospital four times in two years, from 39 to 42, four times in the hospital. Almost fatal blood clots, pre-hypertension, uh, complete mental and physical shutdown uh, from exhaustion, overstress, when I was reshooting V Wars, um, directing, producing, acting, starring, but also too with this massive debt 
problem uh, and exposure as a result of making personal guarantees and something I should have never been doing. So I was an actor coming off of a, one of the most successful television shows in the world. Um, I should have been retiring, at least for you know five or 10 years just to raise my kids. And what happened? The whole world went upside down and I got a call from my, my lawyer and my business manager saying that uh, I had created a substantial eight-figure hole for my, myself and my family. And uh, that, living with that daily, finding the mental and physical fortitude to rise above that every single day and then have the family get dragged through the coals, but also to come together as a unit. And I'm very fortunate that I have a family and particularly a wife who has the ability to do that um, at great sacrifice. But that type of stuff, just remember, the grass isn't always greener. You can get things and then you can lose them like that. And all it is is just an amazing part of the journey. And it's humbling. You get humbled. And humble pie is like the tastiest, yummiest stuff and, and this is another thing I always say to, to not only young people, but people my age who are just living in these false representations. In life, if you do not seek humility, it will find you. It's just a matter of how it finds you, you know? Um, if you look at yourself in the mirror, or it's in those quiet moments, just you, are you actually putting out the type of energy you want back? You don't have to talk to anyone about it, but just check in with yourself. Am I letting these things get the best of me or am I actually, you know, pulling up my bootstraps and putting on my big boy shoes and saying, you're doing it. It's not that you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it to the best of your ability. And that, I think, you've got to just check in with yourself and you've got to push yourself and, uh, I feel so wholeheartedly for people who struggle with this um, and I want to help them and I want to do it at scale. Talking about these things is how we normalize it. You know, not tell people that they're being quote unquote crazy or that they are being too sensitive and gaslighting them into thinking that they shouldn't feel the way that they feel. Whatever you're feeling is valid. You're feeling it. You can't change that. But what we can change is how we respond to those people who, who tell us they're feeling that way. And a little bit of compassion goes a very long way. Compassion is the biggest thing. You just said two big buzzwords that are very dangerous. Crazy and gaslighting. Those are two words that people who are unaware of what they're saying use. Mm -hmm. Anyone who is aware and has the compassion uh, for other people would not utilize those two things. And, and I say this, I firmly believe three things that are missing are compassion, reverence, and gratitude. Those three words, if you could instill them in people from the age of <laughs> three to 93, you would have a completely different society. And, and I put this on not just teachers, but I put it on parents. Because as a parents, it's our job to put our own shit aside and work tooth and nail, fight tooth and nail to keep our own stuff aside and build this next generation. If you had those three things, our world would be completely different. And if society is a direct representation of parenting, 
then we have been doing it improperly. And it's now time, I think, to start to destigmatize these things because if you don't fix mental health from a, your early age, these people are gonna become parents. They're gonna pass this on to their own children by practice, right? So again, you start this amazing healthy cycle. Well, how do we get there? How do we get there? You know, we are connected beings by nature. Nature is a big one. Even sunshine, even putting your hands in soil, watching a plant grow, having conversations in a forest, taking time to connect either with yourself or with someone else in nature changes your whole world. The sun, vitamin D, backed by research. Yeah, getting close with nature, going outside, compassion, gratitude. Gratitude's huge. And we were talking about before being present. Mindfulness is one of the biggest things for people who are struggling with their mental health. Since I was 16 years old and working as a professional, which is now 20, almost 27 years of being a human being, I have seen probably 100 therapists in my lifetime. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. This thing, our brain is a wildly complex and it's the most incredible machine in the world, but it's so complex. How in the hell are we supposed to understand how it's gonna work? I mean, I'm in LA, there's therapy for dogs. It's like, <laughs> these things are incredible, but how are we supposed to understand how they work? We don't ask people. And not all therapists are for everyone. So like, there's no shame. I think I, I've seen it so often where people go to one therapist and they don't connect with that person. And so they're like, ah, it's not for me. And I think it's really important to point out that a therapist relationship with a client or a patient or you know, anyone is just like any other relationship. You're not going to like every single person that you meet on the street. You're not going to feel comfortable sharing, becoming best friends with every person you meet on the street. So why is it different for therapy? If you've been to a therapist and you don't feel connected to them, you don't, you've seen them for a couple sessions, nothing's really feeling happening. good. Yeah, no, nothing's happening. You don't feel like they connect or you don't trust them. It's not, there's no shame in looking for another one. You know, it's okay. And I know there's like, oh, should I ghost my therapist? It's fine. If you ghost your therapist, you ghost your therapist. Not a big deal. Go find another one. There is They're going to move on. They're yes. going to move on to someone else. They're, well, by the way, you know, it's like the other thing about it is I, I, just to your point, having a therapist is a really intimate relationship. Yeah. You're going to tell a therapist shit. You're not even going to tell your, your, your significant other. I want to kind of shift the conversation for a minute because you and Nikki had a baby um, and well, no, let me rephrase that. Nick had the baby. Okay. Yeah. I love when men say that. <laughs> They're like, point. we had the, we had a baby. It's like, no brother. She had that. Kid, she had the baby. Him. Okay. You created baby. a life together and she had the baby. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, how did becoming a father, um, you know, change how you viewed mental health? Oh my gosh. The best thing in the world for mental health is having a child. You are in one instance, required to develop a level of patience, compassion, and understanding that far goes beyond anything that you've ever had to imagine for the safety and benefit of that child in your household, in your life. Everything that's ever happened to you, when you hold that child, that shit's gotta go out the window. It's not gonna work here. If anything, it's the greatest blessing in the world because you don't have time to focus on all those things. It's no longer about you. One of the biggest things that we deal with is ego, right? Having a kid 
you drop that ego in a heartbeat. And it is the most beautiful, humbling thing is to live in certain moments without ego. And Nick and I have had, I mean, endless hundreds of hours of conversations um, of the beauty of that. Meaning, mind you, like while you're literally lick, you know, licking coffee off of the counter because you <laughs> spilled it, you're like, I need that drop. <laughs> it's the most beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing. I'm not trying to sound like holier than now because, man, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I do see some huge systemic societal problems with parents who are not ready mentally, emotionally having children and doing it for the wrong reasons or doing it and getting themselves into a situation where they don't have the help that they need. And that's why I'm so excited about better help because that is, you start to be able to fill in those gaps. It's wild what everyone has to go through. Mm -hmm. I literally just wish I could give everybody a freaking hug, but it's COVID. <laughs> I know we talked a lot about destigmatizing mental health. How do you plan to talk to your child about that, whether it's while she's growing up or in the future? We talk about it every day since the second she could talk. We check in, feelings. Um, she's very vocal and, and uses literally five-syllable words that I can barely pronounce, um, even at four. So... Learning, you know, use your words, use your words, communicate, tell me how you're feeling. And then once they do, not react based on your own toolkit. Let them just get it off of their chest. Let them communicate something and then see how they feel about it. And by the way, it also helps communicate as an adult in adult relationships um, and I learned a lot about this from my wife because she's a master communicator, right? She's a writer. That communication as a household, always taking time to check in, asking how someone is and how they're feeling about something. And once that happens a lot and your children know that as long as they communicate with you, they will get whatever they need. Um, and by the way, that's where crying comes from. If a child, when a child can't speak, they cry when they need something. Now, when you segue that into and, and, and elevate that with words and communication and thoughts and feelings behind those words, it's really powerful. But I go back to ego. As an adult, when you have the ability to step back from ego, oh my gosh, the world opens up. The world opens up in a way you could not imagine the world opening up. Because the ego is what creates that boundary. You can't get through it. How do you get through this impenetrable wall of ego? Um, one of them is biting off the biggest slice of humble pie you'll ever have, which is having a child. <laughs> <laughs> and it is magical in every way, shape, and form. Um, but from a communication standpoint as an adult, learning to reckon with and deal with your own stuff later in those quiet moments and say, oh, wow, you know what? I do need to talk to someone about this because I don't understand how to process this. And then you do one more rung on the ladder. You're like, whew, that was great. I learned that. But now with new technology, now people can sit and they can just put on their podcast. They can listen to this. But, you know, again, that's what's so cool about it. Now, we couldn't do this. I mean, shit, I don't think we could have done this five years ago like this. Nobody could. This is a new thing. And, man, I firmly believe 
that this can change mental health in this country. I firmly believe that. Um, it's a big statement. I believe it because I've seen it now. I see it. It works. We've seen it. We've seen it on our social medias when we get comments saying, like, you've literally saved my life. And I, like, take a step back and I'm like, oh, my God, like, what? And it's true because you don't think about, you know, how much information can save people because, one, it destigmatizes it. They start realizing that it's not just them, that what they're dealing with is something that a lot of people deal with and that somebody cares. There's tools online. It's free. So there's not just go to therapy. It's, you know, there's go to therapy if you have access. There's listen to a podcast. There's read books. There's connect with loved ones. There's go in nature. I, I don't want to minimize that because that is so powerful. Um, grounding, you know, there's so much that we could do that doesn't have to cost anything. But I think the conversation, which I, what I heard you say about with your daughter, validate, listen, People need to be heard. People need compassion. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with your daughter, which I think, you know, with this generation having children and, you know, growing up in an era where we do have access at our fingertips through social media, getting to the right side of social media, the right corners of social media, where it's about health and about, you know, improvement and mental wellness and, and taking some of those tools and implementing them into our daily lives with those we love can make a huge difference in the long run. In this episode, Ian talks about the importance of understanding the false appearances on social media. Just because you look happy in your posts doesn't mean you aren't actually struggling yourself. It was the perfect depiction of how we can end up feeling terribly about ourselves. He also mentions that it's okay to ask for help. He's done it, his wife Nikki has done it, and he knows many people that have gone to therapy and benefited from talking to a licensed professional. If you find yourself needing to talk to somebody, BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. It's way more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. And it makes getting therapy easier. Just schedule your message, phone, or video session and complete it from your phone in your car, in your home, or wherever you are. Ian's heart for people shines through in everything he does. And we're so thankful for the time he spent with us discussing the importance of not comparing, about getting up every day and doing the best you can, and about making mental health a focus in your life. There's a special offer for Getting Better listeners. Get 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash getting better. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash getting better. We've been following you and Paul Wesley and you've launched a... Um, a brand and it's called uh, Brothers Bond Bourbon. Can you tell us about your brand and Paul Wesley? I'd never heard of him. I don't know who you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> you know, listen, people say you talk about mental health all the time, yet you own, co-own, and co-founded an alcohol brand. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I grew up, bourbon was part of my culture. This brand was about bringing people together community. Um, you know, obviously for anyone who's listening who doesn't know this, 
Paul Wesley and I were on a television show for eight years called The Vampire Diaries. And Paul and I played vampire brothers. The boys bonded on screen over bourbon. Paul and I bonded off screen over bourbon. We'd been talking about this for 10 years. And we finally got the opportunity, obviously being on a TV show and being the stars of that show, that's a 100 hour a week job. Plus I flew between 60 to 90 flights a year for almost a decade. A lot of movement, um, really hard, very taxing on the immune system. Uh, again, a lot of mental, mental fortitude to, to get through that. But I do everything with a smile. You'll see that. It's like any day I get to do what I do um, and be uh, basically above ground is a great day for me, right? Um, even when they're hard. So the long and the short of it is the ethos of this brand was to bring people together, community, bonding, whether you are with a sibling, a loved one, a lover, uh, <laughs> someone that you don't even get along with coming back together. You know, we stitch communities and families back together over food and, and, and togetherness. I think we could ultimately argue right now we need togetherness more than ever in history. Period. End of story, right? So Brothers Bond is leading the charge in that, saying when you are coming together, to have conversations, to be a community, to be a family, to be friends. Do it with someone else. And, and, and we have experienced and seen, the data tells us that people are really, really responding to, to, to the brand. And I am happy to announce that there's so much happening literally as we speak. Thank you so much for everything. I mean, this conversation has been extremely deep. I feel like we've touched on so many different topics and I think our listeners are really going to benefit from this. A lot of uh, useful tips, a lot of hope for the future, a lot of, you know, information and you were just very open and honest. So thank you for giving us your time and being so open and sharing this time with us. Thank you both for doing this. I feel so happy right now in my heart knowing that people like you are out there working working your asses off to make sure that people out there have a chance a chance to be happy a chance to feel included a chance to have peace a chance to have something in their life that makes them want to keep going thank you from the bottom of my heart for that thank you again for joining us What an amazing conversation we had with Ian. What were your thoughts on it, Nadia? I was not expecting it to be that deep. Me neither. It went to very deep places. I'm really excited for this one to go live because I feel like a lot of people can relate and there were a lot of actionable takeaways on how to improve your mental health and overall well-being. What was your favorite part? One of the biggest like takeaways that I absolutely loved was how he spoke of like the emotions and like the waves and how we kind of talked about how like anchoring yourself doesn't necessarily mean that you don't feel bad, but like it holds you there. So I love that we got really deep um, into that topic and emotions. What about you? I loved that too. I know at one point he mentioned like three things that really help and they were compassion mindfulness and going outside. Yeah. Actually, when you just said that, I'm glad you brought that up because the outside thing is something that we don't talk about enough. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of jokes online with like, oh, just go outside and you'll feel better. And I think it's because it's used in like a toxic positivity type of way. But if we really look at 
why nature is like really helpful for our mental health. Like it's good for grounding. Um, assuming you're going outside like in nature and not like with your devices or something, but really grounding yourself, you can feel more connected and grounded, especially when you're having panic. And I love that he brought that up because I don't feel like a lot of people talk about it. For me, I run a lot. And in the past I would run with music and I one day was like, okay, what if I tried to run in a way where I was just like focusing on my surroundings and trying to be mindful of all five of my senses. And it, it was a little bit different of an experience because I do love putting on music and running, but it was nice. It kept me grounded and I felt really good and really close to the way I was feeling. And the way you can do that and the way I did that is just like running, seeing what's around me. I see trees, I smell the air, I feel the wind, just focusing on your five senses and trying to see how they feel while you're doing something outside in nature. Yeah, I, actually, it's the same way I do it with mindful walking. I walk and and I actually do the same, like where I look around to the trees and look at like what's on the floor, like noticing the smells. And I actually like increase my steps and see how my heart feels and mm. like I decrease. I sometimes like pay attention to like how I'm taking my steps. So it's like one, two, three, four, one, two. And then sometimes it's like I put a beat to it just to do it. It becomes like really fun, but like no matter how you do it, it's it's different, right? It's not easy at first, but it's different and it can give you a sense of peace. Yeah, I like that you mentioned it's not easy at first because it can feel uncomfortable just really tuning in to the way you're feeling and what you're experiencing, but it takes practice and, and it is a great tool. Well, I mean, I think well, like when we first start doing it, I know personally I would have like thoughts, like it, like I would go away from my mindfulness and start thinking of dinner and thinking of other things and daydreaming. And then I would have to bring myself back. So that's what I mean when I say it's not easy because people are like, I can't do this. Um, but it takes practice. You have to keep redirecting your attention. Right. And start small. Maybe you go for a half an hour walk and you do that for five minutes. Yeah. And then you continue on with how you usually would. Absolutely. Such great takeaways. Such a great episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for listening today. This discussion is so important to ending the mental health stigma. If you want to help the mental health movement, you can do so by leaving a written review for this podcast to help it reach more people. If you want to dive deeper into these topics and learn more about mental health, make sure you subscribe and follow Micheline and Nadia's mental health podcast, Mind-Fully Healing, anywhere you stream your podcasts.